Well, good morning, Austin. <clears throat> it's an honor to be at the Stone. My name is Tony, and I currently pastor a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, it's no exaggeration to say that, that I am I'm extremely, extremely honored to be at Stone today. Uh, there's not a church in America that I admire more. And I'm just uh, really flattered and honored uh, by the leadership here that they would entrust me with this privilege. Um, Matt suggested that I talk about adoption. I do have more sermons than that, but um, uh, as I travel around, people uh, ask me from time to time to speak on this subject. So if you do have a Bible, I would invite you today to go to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. We're going to be there in a little while. We're just going to look at four verses closely this morning. And I, I just want us to ponder the privileges of adoption together. Um, as we begin the, the, the sermon, I just want to say that, that typically I don't share this normally, that this amount of personal story like I'm going to this morning, but because this is a personal uh, kind of uh, story for our lives, a story of adoption, uh, I want to do that. So I'm actually going to begin with some pictures um, of our kids. Uh, my wife and I have adopted five kids over the last four years. Uh, we went from uh, zero kids to, to five kids, and uh, we have a picture of them. This is the, the before picture uh, of our kids. These were the, the first pictures that we saw. We have four kids from Ukraine and one from Ethiopia, and you can probably guess which ones are from which country. Um, but uh, this is James, Angela, uh, Jana, Victoria, and we adopted our Ukrainians, and after about a year, we decided we had room for one more, and we went to Ethiopia to get uh, Joshua. Uh, and so we have a, a picture next of uh, the after picture. After uh, uh, three or four years now, um, this is our crew in uh, North Carolina settling in, and um, they, they're worshiping uh, at our church plant this morning. Josh was the door greeter and, uh, and wants to be a preacher and wants an office. So, um, so that, that's our crew. Now, when you adopt five kids, a lot of people, the, the first question is obviously, uh, why? Uh, do you have some complex? Do you have a short guy complex? Do you have a bald guy complex? Do you have a pastor complex? Are you trying to get on Oprah? Like, what is your, what's your deal? Well, there has to be some twisted motivation for you to, to adopt this many kids, or you just are looking for a rough life. And, and, and maybe you would like our kids. Uh, we'll give you that, ours as well. We, we get all kinds of uh, questions like that. And really, uh, while I would admit that I am a twisted human being in need of much grace, the, the, the primary motivation for us in adopting kids was theology, not biology. It had nothing to do with infertility and had nothing to do with any other uh, thing other than as I began to study the scriptures, I began to see just how, how God is father to the fatherless, how God has adopted us as his children and how our theology should uh, lead way to our biography, that, that our lives are directly related to what we believe. And there were some blind spots in my theology. There were some things that I'd been missing for several years on this particular issue. This was not a topic that I considered uh, up until about five years ago. Uh, I became a Christian in college and was just uh, trying to follow Jesus. And, and my sister adopted a couple of children, and that had a profound impact on my life, but not to really move us to, to consider it ourselves. And then I was asked to speak at a youth camp on the poor. And I began to do a study on, on the, the poorest of the poor around the world and basically came to the conclusion that uh, in many ways, the poorest of the poor are orphans, those who have, have no, no means of, of support. They, they can't take care of themselves. And, and as I began to look at the, the statistics of, uh, depending on who you read, some 140 million children without uh, fathers in the world today, I began to see in the scriptures, uh, like Psalm 68, verse 5, that God is a father to the fatherless, protector of widow, like that's one of his titles. So that if we would introduce God this morning, one of the ways we could introduce him would be that. He's, he's father to the fatherless. 
And that had, a, that had a profound effect on my life as I began to teach these kids at this youth camp and the adults, hey, you need to be caring for orphans. And I didn't know an orphan. And I got convicted by my own preaching while I was preaching. It's a miserable place to be, to, to be yelling at people, <laughs> telling them you need to consider the least of these when, when I hadn't done it myself. I was never uh, opposed to orphan care, never opposed to adoption. I was just indifferent. I was just unmoved by it. And I really was deceived into thinking that I was a spiritually mature individual when I didn't know an orphan. I knew a lot of preachers. I'd read a ton of books. I, had, I knew a lot of bands. But James says true religion is visiting orphans in their affliction. And I had no orphans that I had visited, cared for, knew anything. And so I repented of my indifference, my inactivity, my spiritual arrogance. And I eventually went to my wife and after studying the, the doctrine of adoption more intensely, beginning to see that, that God is an adoptive father, that, that there are no natural born children into the kingdom of God, that all of us this morning who are in the family are here by virtue of adoption. So I eventually went up to my wife and I said, hey baby, I want some kids. We were living in New Orleans at the time. We had a five-bedroom house and no kids. And she said, well, how do you want to get the kids? And I'm like, well, there are two ways. And for the record, I'm a fan of both, you know. I, I like both ways. <clears throat> we love all kids. Our church's name is Imago Day. We care for everyone who's made in God's image. And, but we hadn't been fortunate yet after about four years to have biological children. So I said, hey, I think we should adopt. And so her next question was, where do you want to adopt from? And as an old baseball player, naturally, I said, the Dominican Republic. That's where I like to adopt from. So if you don't know the DR, they have shortstops there. They just raise them up. It's, it's an impressive thing. And I just imagine that little Miguel was in, in on the middle infield out in my backyard and all his eight brothers, and we would have just an incredible little league team. And, and uh, she convinced me that was a terrible motivation. And I still question that, but, but I went with her. And she said she would, she would like uh, two little girls from Eastern Europe. And so we were approved for two kids under the age of five. And after an 18-month process, we finally got a phone call on a Friday that said we needed to be in Kiev, Ukraine, on Monday. So I passed my sermon to our associate pastor, and, and I got on a plane with my wife. We had baby food, diapers. We were looking for two girls. We were approved for two under the age of five. And we got to the uh, governmental agency, and we had one hour to look through available children in which they would basically try to match you with some, some children. And for whatever reason, there weren't many options, and we were very discouraged. And then a lady walks in, and she said, hey, would you consider three kids? I'm like, sure. And she says three down. And one was like 14 years old. And we were 30 at the time. And I said, I don't know about that. And then this other lady came in, apparently finished with a client. She said, would you consider four? And so I was like, sure, why not? And so she says four down. <clears throat> and we always wanted a lot of kids. We just didn't think we'd get them all at one time, you know? It's like we went to Sam's and we just got in bulk. <laughs> and <laughs> so she says four down. And uh, they're ages four, six, seven, and nine, not two under five. Four, six, seven, and nine. We'd only been married uh, for like five years. And so now we have, it's really great to introduce yourself as a pastor. And, and you, you know, you've been married five years. We have a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, nine-year-old. <laughs> and so we're, we're thinking about all of these things. This is a, a biological sibling group. And um, we agreed to meet them. We drove nine hours south to a city called Zaporizhia. And these four kids came walking in to the Russian orphanage director's office. They didn't know why they were coming in. They thought they were in trouble, and they're kind of holding hands, pale-faced, dingy clothes. And uh, they spoke no English, and the, the orphanage director said, hey, this couple's come from America to adopt you. 
If you go with them, you will, you will get a bicycle and you will get a bedroom. And she goes through all this stuff, and I'm like, please stop. Uh, and then she looks at them one by one, and she says, but it's your decision. Do you want to be adopted? 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 And I, they didn't really know what all that meant, I don't think, at the time, but they were all, yeah, you know. So we, we hung around. We played with them for a little while. She asked us, do you guys want to proceed? We said yes. We stayed there for 40 days, in the country for 40 days to get through all the legalities of that, had to amend our paperwork because we were approved for two. We're calling back home, hey, get our house ready. We got four kids. Um, and finally, we got to go to court. We went through the whole process. We, we finally got to go home. I went shopping because they had to leave all their orphanage clothes behind. And, and there I was just amazed at how much it's going to cost to raise kids. And, and uh, we went to this place called Mother Care, and I spent like $600 to get them a few, you know, pair of clothes and, and a backpack and whatnot. And, and I went to the little girls. I had the two little ones. And I said, girls, we're going home. And little Victoria, the four-year-old, was like, forever? And I said, yeah, yeah, we're going forever. And she took all her old clothes, put them away. They put all their new clothes on, very gospel image. We went to the train station. <clears throat> we went to the city of Ukraine, uh, Kiev, and then we got on a train, and it was some 27 hours later. We got home. One of our girls was just complete drama queen on the plane. She was biting, screaming, yelling. I felt so bad for everybody. On the plane, I was offering to buy drinks for everybody. And, and finally got home, and my father-in-law met me there, big army guy, and he's about 6'5", and I was so ready to cry by the time I got home. And, and I just put my head in his chest, which is about where my head goes in his body. And, and uh, we, we began to just, just cry softly. And then it turned into like prom queen crying, you know, here in the airport. <clears throat> and we went home. And after about a year, we said, you know what? We have one more room, one more uh, chair in the minivan. We have uh, one more bed. We can probably do one more. The kids wanted a brother. And so I said, James, uh, he kept saying, me want they brother, me want they brother. And I was like, well, well, where do you want to get your brother from? You want us to go back to Ukraine? And he says, he'd been playing with his Ethiopian cousins. By now, by the way, my sister had five adopted children from Ethiopia. Um, and he said, he gets his English words mixed up still. And he said, no, me want they sunscreen brother. Me want they sunscreen brother. And I was like, you mean suntan? He said, yeah, suntan. And so I was like, okay. So we, we, we contacted adoption agency. I said, hey, we're looking for an, an, a, a child, a, a boy, preferably no siblings, uh, preferably orphaned by death and, and not poverty. And, and, uh, and they said, here, here are some available children. And, and three days after we left, six months later, uh, we were back home with, with Joshua. And so uh, our journey has, has taught us much about the gospel, about the miracle of adoption. And, and when I, you come to the scriptures, uh, you see that there is a greater miracle than a human being adopting a human there's greater privilege than an orphan being adopted by an American or a human. Rather, the, the great miracle today is that, that God has, has sent his son to adopt us, to bring us into his family. And this privilege is unbelievable. In fact, J.I. Packer in his great book, Knowing God, has a chapter on adoption. And he says that adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. It's the highest privilege. That's what we're going to ponder today. The privileges of being adopted. John Murray, another theologian, said that adoption is the apex of redemptive grace and privilege. And so uh, this morning, I'd like for us to consider it because it seems to me that over the past, I don't know how many years, the doctrine of adoption has become the Cinderella doctrine. It's become the neglected doctrine. 
There's lots of focus on justification, lots of focus on a reconciliation, redemption, and rightly so. But when we fail to consider and ponder the doctrine of adoption, I think we're missing out on a lot of stuff. And by the way, that's evidenced by the fact that as I speak on this, numerous people tell me I've never heard a sermon on adoption. And you read systematic theology books and you see no sections on adoption, maybe a paragraph or two. And we, we, we come to this doctrine and we see that, that this, man, this is who we are. This is identity shaping for people to understand that you're an adopted child of the king. And this doctrine of adoption is a unifying doctrine. It brings together so many pieces of the Christian life so that when you talk about sin and slavery, you, you can talk about being adopted out of that. When you talk about being a, you know, a child of God now, you can talk also about the future that we will be revealed later in the new heavens and new earth as his children. You can talk about sanctification, what it means to grow in Christ by talking about adoption as God is now making us like our elder brother Jesus. So many doctrines just find their way into this particular area. And this is deeply pastoral as well. If you're grieving today, you're hurting today, what better doctrine to, to ponder and the fact that you can call you God your, your Abba Father. And so for that reason and many more, I want us to, to consider it in Galatians 4. This is one of the passages that, that where, where Paul talks about uh, adoption. He uses this word, this Greek word, huothesia, which means to place a son <clears throat> in this particular uh, section. He only uses that word five other times in the New Testament. He uses it in Romans, he uses it in Galatians, and he uses it in Ephesians. And sprinkled in those three books are five particular usages of this word uh, huothesia. Now, that doesn't mean that the concept is not taught elsewhere in Scripture. In fact, in the Old Testament, we have, we have a, a, uh, just a huge uh, illustration of this with Israel themselves. They are known as God's son. In Exodus 6, God tells Moses that I will take them who are not my people to be my people. That's adoption language. Those who were not my people are now my people. But in these uh, passages in Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians, Paul is talking primarily to those who lived in a Roman context. And Romans also understood adoption. In fact, you might find it interesting that Julius Caesar ad adopted Octavian, whom we read about in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And wouldn't it be something to be a little Roman farm boy and have Caesar adopt you. You're a little orphan kid in Rome, and Caesar brings you in and confers upon you all the rights and privileges that go with sonship. Paul knows that the Romans understand adoption, and what he in effect says is, you've been adopted by the only sovereign, the king of kings, and it is privilege of all privileges. So all I have today is good news for you. I have good news for you if you're a believer today. I would just want you to revel in grace. Marvel at grace today. If you're not a Christian, I just want to explain to you what we believe. And I want to hold out to you the same offer. Do you want to be adopted? Do you want to know this God is your father? So let's look at it together. Galatians 4, verse 4. I just have eight points. That was just the introduction. Um, <clears throat> but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let me share with you some similarities between our adoption of kids and God's adoption of us. 
that you may understand some of these privileges. First similarity is this. <clears throat> Adoption is planned, seriously planned. When you set out to adopt kids as, as uh, husband and wife, you, you think about it, obviously. You attend seminars, you read books, you look at your finances, you get everything prepared. No one haphazardly walks into adoption. My wife and I sold our Jeep for a minivan. That was the moment of no return. It was a terrible day to do that as I prepared to, to bring home children. It's a cool minivan, but it's still a minivan. But we're, we're planning on that. Now, you notice in this text the plan that was involved in adoption. It says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Now, we shouldn't have the idea that, that God was so upset with humanity, he just didn't know what to do with it, so he said, Jesus, you, you go give it a try. The, the, the language here is more of, of that of intentionality. At just the right time, at the perfect time, at the appointed time, God sent forth his son. That this was the perfect time, probably culturally, as, as historians point out, but also theologically, the law had done its work of preparing people. They were crying out for a mediator. It was just the right time. Perhaps you thought like me before, you know, it'd be better if Jesus were alive today instead of the first century. Social media would be wonderful. You know, he could preach on YouTube and everybody could watch it and people could follow him on Twitter. It would be really, really great if you were alive today. It would be better, right? And apparently not. God knew exactly what he was doing and at just the right time, God sent forth his son. And you notice, you notice this plan involves Father, Son, and Spirit. So the Trinitarian passage. God sends forth the Son and then God sends the Spirit into our hearts. A double sending. God is a sending God. God has sent the Son on this rescue mission. God sends the Spirit into our hearts. This is a, this is a big deal. Adoption for God was never plan B. It was always plan A. Most humans today only think of adoption as a second resort. If we can't have our own kids, maybe we'll adopt. That, that sure encourages the adopted children, by the way. Rather, for God, it was always plan A. Paul reached back before the foundation of the world in Ephesians 1 and said, before there was a creation, <clears throat> God purposed to adopt us. Which means, my friends, today, if you're a Christian, it's by no accident. It's by God's good, sovereign grace today that he has a plan and he's appointed you. He loves you with an everlasting love. So marvel at that privilege. You are loved by the Father. You were part of his plan. Second similarity is this. Adoption requires the right qualifications. The right qualifications. When you set out to adopt children, they're going to check you inside and out. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. Social workers will come to your house. I remember when they came to me, they said, now you can't lie. I'm like, well, I try not to normally. But they're like, well, you really can't this time. It will really screw up the whole process. So I said, okay, I'll tell the truth. And so they start asking me questions. Have you ever drank this? Yes. Have you ever smoked that? Twice. Have you, <laughs> have you ever been to jail? Uh, twice. Uh, it, but I, nothing bad. Just, just got in a fight. Um, and and my, my wife, have you ever done anything? No. Pete on my sister. One time, no big deal. Her whole exam takes five minutes. I'm on the phone for four hours trying to let them know. They just look at me and they think, well, he's a, he's a tattoo parlor owner. He, he's, he, he, he owns a Harley shop. We, we don't know if we can let this guy, uh, which I don't. But, but you're a pastor. Are you serious? Yeah. I'm as surprised as you are, by the way, that I'm a pastor. 
And so, I mean, they're very suspicious of me as I'm explaining this. Well, what do you want out of this? Do you think you're going to get paid? No, I don't have any money left now because of this whole fiasco. Um, God made me do it. That's why I'm doing it. Next question, please. And so they're making sure you have the right qualification. Now, we praise God for these people because uh, we have a lot of Uncle Ricos and Cousin Eddies who need to stay away from kids. And so they're trying to make sure you're not in, okay? You guys, you're okay. When it comes to your adoption, you'll notice in the text, there's only one who's qualified. In the fullness of time, God sends forth his son. Marvel at the person of Jesus in this text. In the fullness of time, God sends forth his son, meaning the pre-existent son, born of woman. So there never was a time in which Jesus did not exist. God sends the pre-existent son, which means he's fully divine. And yet the son, it says, is born of woman, which also speaks to his fully humanness. This is the mystery of what we call in theology the hypostatic union. One Jesus, two natures, fully God, fully man. Mystery of mysteries. And this is why Jesus confused everyone in the first century. With just simple questions. Hey, Jesus, how old are you? For us, that's an easy question. I'm 36. Jesus, how old are you? Well, on my mother's side, I'm 12. (laughs) On my father's side, I'm eternal. And they're just scratching their wooden heads, you know, trying to put all this together. He tries to explain it. You see, guys, on my mother's side, I get hungry. On my father's side, I'm the bread of life. I feed a multitude with a catfish po' boy. (laughs) On my mother's side, I get thirsty. On my father's side, the living water. On my mother's side, I have no place to lay my head. On my father's side, I own the earth and the fullness thereof. On my mother's side, I cry. I wept at Lazarus' tomb. On my father's side, I raised him from the dead. On my mother's side, I get tired. I went to sleep on the boat. And on my father's side, I commanded the waves to be still. On my mother's side, I was nailed to a cross in agony. On my father's side, I was raised from the dead. There will never be another Jesus Christ. He's not one among many. He's the one and only. And God sent heaven's best for you. God sent the Son, the only one with the right qualifications to save to adopt. And this is why, my friends, we believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's not because we want to make enemies. We're trying not to sound arrogant. Why do you believe such a belief? It's because we believe that Jesus Christ is the only one in the God-man category. There's no one like him. And to deny that belief, in my opinion, is to dishonor Jesus. The only one who's qualified God has sent him. How can we not embrace him? How can we not love him? How can we not say yes to him? The way, the truth, and the life. Third characteristic, third similarity is that adoption is costly. When God sent the son, the son did something. And you notice what this text talks about here. It talks about the cost, what it costs to bring you into the family. Now, if you set out to adopt kids, you'll understand this too. And I know many at the stone have done that. That it, you're, you're going to be paying back for a long time unless you're as rich as Kevin. 
But, but for poor church planners like myself, we're trying to get out of the hole all the time. It, it does cost a lot. And I, I often tell people who are thinking about adoption, cheer up, it's much worse than the cost. Um, the, the real cost is when you get home and you have to reorient your whole life and you're trying to do you know, homework with five kids. Um, that, that's the real cost. But when it comes to your adoption, it cost Jesus his life and his, his blood. Notice how this text says that he was both born under the law to redeem or purchase those who were under the law. Born under the law means that Jesus was under the law and that he kept the law every day of his life. The law crushes us. We can't keep God's law. The law tells us that we're not righteous. But Jesus, we need a law fulfiller. We need one who would be obedient for us. And Jesus was born under the law and every day obeyed for us. So Jesus just didn't die for us. He also lived for us. He lived the life we couldn't live and then died on behalf of those who broke that law. That's what it cost Jesus to bring us into the family. We love him today. We sing to him and not about ourselves today because he did that. He lived the perfect life. He died the substitutionary death. And that was what it cost to bring us. So you cost a lot. You cost the blood of Jesus to bring you into the family. Oh, the love that sought us. Oh, the grace that sought us. Oh, the blood that bought us, right? That brought us into the fold. Adoption is costly. Number four, adoption saves children from terrible situations. The reason that we needed to be purchased and adopted, the text says, is that we were under this law, we were crushed. And then if you just peek down to verse eight, it also says that we were enslaved to idols. And one of the pictures we get in the gospel is that before we were Christians, we we are enslaved to, to false gods. That we are in fear, as Romans 8 teaches, when it talks about adoption, we were enslaved to fear. We were, as Ephesians 2 teaches, dead in our sin. We were alienated from God. We were without God and without hope in this world. And now God has brought us out of that. And what a picture. Is there a better picture than adoption? As you go to these orphanages around the world, these are some of the coldest places you'll ever be in. As you look at the faces of these kids who have just been neglected. Just put aside sexual abuse and all the other abuse that they've endured. Just the simple fact that they have no birthday parties, no Christmas, no daddy-daughter dates. They have no affection. You go in some of the the places in Ukraine where I've been to these baby houses, it's just a, a, a room full of babies. And sometimes these babies don't cry. They don't cry because no one's ever responded to them. It's the most eerie place. It's a hopeless situation. One of my nieces, uh, Mercy, that my my sister adopted had HIV. And I remember when people were asking my sister, are you going to really adopt this child? And she said, yes, God adopted me when I was far worse. How could I not adopt her? We have one of our elders at our church right now who's in China adopting this little girl, Mabry. They'll be home next week. She was abandoned at a train station. And you think about the plight of orphans today. That really should move us to act, but it also should move us to ponder what God has done for us. He has rescued us out of that. He's put us in a family. Adoption saves children from terrible situations. My son Joshua had never, he'd never seen a snow before. He'd never seen Christmas before. So we walked into my wife's family's home for Christmas, and he's like, Papa, are all these people our family? I'm like, yeah, man. So he's playing in the snow all day. I tuck him in at night, and I go downstairs in the basement because they're making so much noise. 
And I feel around in his pocket, and his pocket's wet. And so I check in his pocket, and he went to sleep with a snowball in his pocket, saving it for tomorrow. It was wrapped up in a piece of yeah, a paper towel, and he was so afraid there'd be no snow in the morning. So I was like, there's going to be snow. And, and I just had this picture on Christmas Eve of this, this little Ethiopian whose uh, biological parents died when he was one, had an uncle put him in an orphanage, now at home with a bunch of cousins on Christmas. What a picture of what God has done. He's brought us into family. Praise his name. Number five, adoption involves a legal change. There is a legal transfer that takes place. The, the text just set, simply says, you are sons. You were this, now you're this. And that's the good news of the gospel. One moment you're not adopted, boom, next minute you are. One moment you're not in the family, next minute you are. I remember when we went to court finally and our judge had my wife give her a little plea and then I stood up and spoke something to the judge like, Your Honor, there are over 140 million orphans in the world today and we believe they all deserve a family and we love your country and we would ask your kind permission to make us the legal parents of these four children and change their names on their birth certificates to Marita. And he went out, made his, uh, had his discussion, came back in, and I remember when he took the big gavel and he slammed it and declared it to be so. And the moment he slammed it, my life changed. Their lives changed immediately. Paul calls that in Galatians 2, justification. When God the judge declares, the only one who has the right and authority to do so, that you are now righteous in God's eyes. Now you are adopted into the family. You can come into the family immediately through the gospel. You can be transferred legally. And then when you get transferred, you're going to grow in this relationship. Our kids now have not only a new identity, a new name on their birth certificate. They're learning a new language. Uh, they, they mix up words all the time. There was just a few weeks ago, I came downstairs after taking a shower, and Joshua was like, Papa, you smell so good. Is that, are you wearing Dorito? And I was like, no, man, it's deodorant. You mean deodorant. I don't smell that good. Uh, always, always mixing up words, learning this, this new language. One time our car was broken down, and James says, Papa, should we take it to the chiropractor? And, and he, he was serious. He was so serious. Um, and, and so identity's changed. Everything has changed. Paperwork's changed. And when you become a Christian, you get a new status. It is a change of position. It's a change of status. It's a change of identity. But there's more than that. There's more than a legal change. Number six, adoption involves the spirit of sonship. The spirit of sonship. You see, my kids have never seen legal paperwork and they could care less about legal paperwork. But they know they're our kids. People ask me sometimes, do they feel like your kids? Yeah. We know they are because they want Mexican food every day, just like us. <laughs> you explain that one. Uh, that's sonship. That's the spirit of sonship. There is just this sense that we belong to Papa. And the text says, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Paul says in Romans 8 that the fundamental proof that you're a child of God is that the spirit of God is in you. For all who are led by the spirit of God, he says, are sons of God. And that his spirit is bearing witness in your spirit that you belong to him. So this is the, this proof that we belong to him is that the spirit of God is in us. As, as Paul would say in Romans 8 9, Whoever does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. So that's the question. Spirit of God in you, now giving you this desire to cry out, Abba. 
Now, this is a privilege that, that you can cry to your Abba. You can cry to, to, the, to God as Father this morning. This is the same word that Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane. In his dark hour, he cried, Abba. As he's falling to the ground, sweating blood, he's crying, Abba. And in your dark hours, you can cry, Abba. You can know that God will respond to your cry because you have a father. And you keep crying out to him. So one of the implications, I think, of adoption is prayer. Like this should just prompt ongoing communion with the father. That our Father loves us and cares for us. And this privilege of sonship not only has a vertical dimension with the Father, it also has a horizontal dimension, meaning that now we call each other brothers and sisters. And so one of the privileges of being a Christian is that you're brought into a family. You are now brothers and sisters, even though you look differently, you speak differently or whatever. Your brothers. Now, we just kind of use that term in the church world because we can't remember people's names. It's like, how you doing there? Brother. Uh, I'm a pastor. I do this for a living. You just, you just call people by this name or when you're in college, you know, and you wanted to ask a girl out and she, she doesn't like you, she would say, like, I love you as a brother. And that meant she's not interested. It's a really tough, tough situation. But this really has a, this is so, this is so powerful that you can call each other brother, sister. Why? You have the same Father. Spirit of God is in you. You are tighter than, than blood. You're, you're, you're united by Jesus' blood. I love the scene in John 20 after the resurrection. Mary comes looking for Jesus and she bumps into him and he's like, Mary. And she's startled and, he, and he, he says to her in John chapter 20 these words. He says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. Jesus could say of those disciples, those are my brothers. My father, your father. You can call Jesus your elder brother. You are family together. We, we, we pray to the father. What a privilege today to know that we are in this family, even though we might appear different on the outside. Number seven, Adoption transforms children in every way. Transforms children in every way. When the Spirit of God comes into our heart, He's doing something. He's making war. He, he's, he's fighting sin. He's, he's changing us from the inside out. He's doing Galatians 5 once the Spirit comes into our lives. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which is war against the flesh. Creating in us characters like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. That's the way God's kids live. What God is doing is Galatians 4, 19, forming Christ in us, making us like Jesus, so that when we're adopted, we're permanently adopted. <laughs> we're grateful today that God, the Father, is patient with us and he doesn't kick us out of the house when we blew it last night. But he continues to persist with us, be patient with us, and he's shaping us into the image of Jesus so that it might be two steps forward and one back, but, but we're going forward. It's like my kids. You have a few good days and it's awful, but the, the love of the Father's permanent and he does discipline us if necessary. But it is the kindness of the Father that leads us to repentance this morning. We know that he's not going to remove us from the family. We're repenting because we love him. We're repenting because we want to glorify him. 
We want the Spirit of God to change us from the inside out. And that's what he's doing. He's giving us a new appetite. He's giving us a new aspiration to be like Jesus in this life. Adoption gives you purpose. It's giving you a vision of who you are to be and what you're to do in this life, to make much of Jesus, to glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is changing you. And it's, it's just so mirrored in, in physical adoptions, how when a kid comes in, they're transformed in so many ways. I gave Joshua a baseball glove when we adopted him because they don't play baseball in Ethiopia. That's, that's how rough the country is. And they, they're like, is this cricket? And I'm like, no, it's not cricket. We fish with crickets. We just a baseball. You guys need baseball over here. And we brought him in, you know, and, and, and our kids had funny eating habits. Our Ukrainians, we took them to Pizza Hut and they ordered potatoes. Like, no, it's just pizza. You eat pizza. And they, they eventually, you know, order pizza now. I remember our second day, we brought Joshua to, to eat, and my wife makes a lot of spinach salads. I've learned to like them. And she, she sets one down to Joshua with some other food around it. And he, he just doesn't nibble around the spinach. He leaves the room in protest. He's like, I'm out of here. You're feeding me spinach, I'm out. So I had to go get him, sit him down. He's like, and leaves the room again. And this happens two or three times. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, when I was a kid, my mom used to tell me, Tony, you need to eat your green vegetables. And I would be like, why, mom? She would say, well, there are starving kids in Africa. And I was thinking, well, apparently they won't eat it either. You know? I think some of you need to be freed from that guilt, okay? Because <laughs> based on our little case study, our starving kid from Africa hates it. And I've told this story before. I have Nigerians have told me, Popeye's not from Africa. We don't like spinach. What are you people eating spinach? What are you, animals? Uh, and mom has told me this forever, but, but I've had to coach Joshua. I'm like, Joshua, you want to hit home runs like Albert Pujols. You need to, to eat spinach. You, you want to play, you know, in the NBA. You got to eat some. So he's, he's learned to eat it. He eats it last, but he still eats it. And it's just amazing to see transformation of character, of life, of, of what, you, what you do. I'll be on the porch reading the Bible, and here comes little Joshua to sit down, read the Bible. I remember the second day we were home from, from Ukraine, I had to go preach the Sunday evening sermon, and all the kids stayed at home. And, and I, I came, and, and James wanted to come with me. He still didn't speak English, and I had a water bottle and a cell phone and a Bible, and that's, he brought the same thing. Comes in, has a fake phone, a water bottle, and a Bible that he can't read. It's in English. They just want to be, in many ways, like their father, which is kind of scary. I want to point them to, to the better father. But adoption is transforming us in every way, making us like the son. Number eight, finally, adoption gives the child a right to be an heir of the father. This is where all my analogies break down because I have nothing to give my kids. But you notice in this text, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir. What does that mean? I don't really know. It means something great, though. I don't know exactly what it means yet because it has not been fully revealed yet. But we have an inheritance coming to us. It would be one thing, you know, if it was just this life we got to enjoy the privileges of adoption. If it was just in this life we had the Spirit of God in us, you and our brothers and sisters, you cry, I cry, you rejoice, I rejoice, we share together, we do life together, man, that'd be enough. But Paul says, hey, you're also an heir. In other words, the best is still to come with adoption. And I know this about an inheritance. The worth of an inheritance is determined by the worth of the person giving the inheritance. 
and God owns it all. Jesus would say in the Beatitudes that the meek will inherit the earth. John says in 1 John 3 that we shall see him as he is. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. In other words, while we don't understand the full spectrum of the new heavens and the new earth, you say, what do I get if I get adopted? You get God. You get God. Forever. He is our inheritance. You get to be with God in His presence where nothing but goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life in a place where there are no plane crashes and no tsunamis and no orphan beds, in a place where there are no human trafficking, no cancer, no HIV. You're going to be with God in all of His glory, the new heavens and new earth. That's waiting on you. You say, what do I have to do to get it? Simply say, yes, I want to be adopted. I want to be adopted. You say that's too good to be true. I don't have to do anything. No. You say I'm too bad to be adopted. No. God doesn't adopt us because we're cute. He didn't adopt us because of our attractive merits. He adopted us because of his amazing mercy. If any of us are in the family today anticipating the glory that's to be revealed, it's by mercy. Sheer mercy today that we're in the family. Therefore, if you are a terrible sinner, you're a great candidate. You're just the person that ought to come into the family. And do you really want to turn your back on this God? The God who sees the kid in the mud pies, the kid in the pigsty from far away, and he runs after him. That father brings home those kids. If you've received adoption, you're a believer today, I would just encourage you to, to do Ephesians 5.1, which simply says, imitate God as beloved children. Imitate God as beloved children. You say, how can I imitate God? By showing his adopting love to a broken world. You tell me I need to adopt kids. No, not necessarily. I don't think every person should be doing that. In fact, we can adopt all the kids around the world. They're not available. But what we are all called to do is imitate God. We are to visit orphans in their affliction. We are to put on display the character of God in this world. And that can happen in a gazillion different ways. The, the question simply for the Christian is this, what am I doing? Do something. Repent of indifference. Repent of inactivity, of selfishness, of fear. Many things, I, I can't get into this, this caring for the broken world in need because it's so bad. I can never solve the problem. That's not the point either. Will we ever solve the problem, the orphan crisis? No, I don't think so. But remember what Jesus said. If you've done it to the least of these, one of these, you've done it unto me. You see, these orphans have a face. And that face is a Galilean carpenter. And every time you care for one of them, you do it as an act of worship unto him. And that's what we want to be known for. People who love the Savior take his word seriously, and put his compassion on display. Let's do it for the least of these.
After all, that's what he's done for us in our leastness. He has dispensed grace. And the proper response to grace is grace. Let us be a grace-giving, grace-displaying people as recipients of his adopting grace. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege it is, truly, truly a privilege to call you Abba, Father. The half has not been told of all that will be revealed in the good news of adoption. Thank you today that we're not alone in this world. The Holy Spirit is in our hearts. And not only that, we have brothers and sisters around us. Thank you for the community of faith, the family of God. We thank you for the Savior today who did everything that was required to bring us into the fold. Thank you that you've brought us to the table. And we all sit around the table of grace today, enjoying your hospitality and your fatherly care, God, because of your unparalleled mercy. So we say with the psalmist, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeemed your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed, made his ways known to Moses, his mighty acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not hold his anger against us forever, but forgives us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on us. We bless your name, Father, for your kindness. Help us to live out of the overflow of a heart of gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.